Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. We are in a uh, series, like I said, called Unshaken, uh, Strong in Faith No Matter What. We are in Lesson 11 or Episode 11. Judges Chapter 16 is where we're going to focus on. But as per usual, I'm going to lead you up a little bit, kind of put us in context as to where we are in the story of the Bible. And, and really just kind of go back to Judges 13 and walk you through. I know I asked you to read chapter 16, but I'm going to kind of walk you through to that chapter. And we're going to glean a couple. Usually I give you three teaching points. Today I've called this teaching, uh, When I'm Desperate for a Second Chance. Uh, another way to, th- to, to maybe frame this can be, When I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up. And uh, we'll get into sort of the times in our life when we realize that we need a second chance. And, uh, um, and, and often we don't know that we need a second chance until we need a second chance. And so Samson is sort of this sad story in the Bible in some ways, but it's also a hopeful story in the Bible. So much of life is like that. It's like challenging and kind of go, how could any good come out of this? But then you pick up the story of Samson in the New Testament. The mention of him is such a positive mention that it almost makes you do a double take and, and think Think about the areas in your life where you might be feeling right now, I wish I had a second chance. I wish I could do that over. And um, I don't play a lot of golf, but I always found it very interesting, this concept in golf that once during a round of golf, you can call a mulligan. A mulligan is sort of where you go, I do over. I didn't like my shot. I just want to kind of get a freebie. And, um, and, And those don't come very often in life. But God gives us second chances every single day. And so uh, this story, again, like no other, shows us a lot about God, even though the focus is on this guy, Samson, who struggled in his life, uh, struggled a lot in his life. And so um, his mother and father, uh, the story starts with them. Uh, this week I did a teaching for a group that I was going to be with, and now uh, we're not, so I I'm, I'm filmed it. And it's funny, very similar. It was a story I taught on Samuel, and I traced back to his parents and his mom and dad, and, and, and I made a comment in my teaching that so much of our, of our story can start out in pain. And Hannah, of course, was barren. She couldn't have Samuel. There was pain. And, and here in the story of, of Samson, his story sort of starts out in pain as well. His mother is um, uh, the wife of Manoah. And uh, she, we're told in chapter 13 of Judges, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So this was a point of pain. Now still is a point of pain, but even in the Old Testament, in the day before Christ, in that season, a point of pain. Barrenness to this day, nobody really talks about being barren as a good thing. There are people who choose not to have kids, but, but, but to want to have kids and not be able to, to have them is hard. And so this story starts with that. And so this woman, 
uh, was a woman who knew God. And this was, remember, an era in the judges where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. As a culture, there was a lack of understanding and obedience to God. This was a culture who should have known God. God had dealt with them and showed himself faithful to them. Uh, before judges, we, we've studied on Joshua going into the promised land, before that Moses, before that Abraham. I and mean, we've seen the patriarchs leading up to this. And then we get into judges and we hit this like, you know, like the road runner, you know, stops and, and, and the whole thing just sort of slows down and you find out that these people, the people of Israel are not getting it. And so every time they hit sort of a bad spot, they turn to God, he blesses them, then they forget, forget about him. And as a whole, this entire season in the history of Judges is a bad season where they're just doing whatever they want to do and nobody really pays attention to God or cares about God. In fact, um, uh, very similar to our life today. But in that context, some remnants, some men and women who are faithful to God. And, um, and one such family was this couple. And so, and so God appears to, to, to the mom of Samson. And, and so there's so much potential in Judges 13. I'm going to read you a little bit of how God predicts the birth of Samson. And, and sort of this idea, because remember, if you are at all familiar with the Bible, you know that Samson is the guy with the long hair. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And he later, with Samson and Delilah, everybody sort of knows that symbolism. When you talk about Delilah, usually it's like this, you know, sexual adultery type thing. And, and you'll see why in a minute she, she tricked him. And so when people talk about Delilah, it's, it's a conniving sort of, sort of connotation. But there was so much potential at the beginning of the story. So, so Samson's mom is in her own pain and she's dealing with it. And God now appears to her and makes a promise. And so in chapter 13 of Judges, we're told about this woman. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her in verse 3, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Imagine that. Imagine, don't you sometimes wish God would like... Like if you have a point of pain or need, today I found my, I went on a bike ride and I found myself, um, yeah, Jeannie, I went on a bike ride and I found myself on this bike ride reflecting. I, I, I just just listening to God and praying out loud and and I and, and I was asking God, that God, there's some areas in my life I want you to speak into again. And I know some of you watching understand that. I know it. And 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 and, and how awesome those moments in our life when God does. And here, of course, in Judges 13, he does it so powerfully. And so out of this pain of barrenness, there's so much hope. So here the Lord says, Behold, you're barren, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. A son, I'm biased to girls. I'm a woman. And, but, but, but sons are were a big deal in that, in that era. So therefore, verse 4, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Again, three times he says it. Um, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person who was committed to God. So the idea that the hair wouldn't be cut was a sign that God's hand was on him. He was a son of promise. God had a plan and a purpose, an anointing for this boy. And so this family is receiving this in a minute. God would appear, or the angel of God would appear to not just the wife, but the husband. And, and that prophecy is repeated again. And they receive the prophecy. And, and he says, he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That was a big deal because the Philistines were the enemy. And so, so God is making this promise to this woman that he, who was barren, who'd given up maybe hope that she could have kids. He says, you're going to have a son and he's going to be awesome. And he's going to serve me and he's going to be unique and he's going to be anointed. And uh, the, a man, and so she, this is her response. The woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you will conceive and bear a son. 
So the drink note, she repeats the prophecy for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Listen, man, a lot of potential here. And, and, I, and I, just a small thought, I went thinking through, sort of foreseeing where this life of Samson is going to be. By the way, the word Samson means sun child, like the sun, bright sun, sun child. And, and so there's joy and sunshine. And, but, but this idea that your potential is never as important as your actions. This is not one of the teaching points, but it's a fact. Your potential is never as important as your actions. And so, so much of our life, we start off, you know, we... You know, we think, man, it's great. Everything is great. And we have so much potential. But the question is, what are you going to do with that potential? And we're going to see not very long from now that poor Samson, he didn't live up to his potential. And yet God had promised that from the womb to the day of his death, God would, God's hand would be on him. And so Manoah prayed to the Lord and asked God to appear to him. And sure enough, God, verse 9, listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman. And they have, again, they repeat uh, this conversation with God. And at the end of, of the chapter 13, um, it says, verse 20, when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, God sends fire. And the angel of the Lord went up in the flame from the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife, his wife is wise. I like her so much. She says to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would, have, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son, sure enough, and called his name Samson and the young man grew and the Lord blessed him this guy had everything going for him he grows up in a in a you can tell the man and his wife get along there's no conflict in the home God is their God they recognize God's hand in their life I mean it is like what could go wrong <laughs> and and on top of it the spirit of the Lord began to stir him and, and, and now, verse chapter 14, verse 1, we're going to see how things go south. Samson went down to Timnah. Timnah was in the land of the Philistines. And right there, you see, this is not going somewhere good. And at Timnah, now again, our eyes are often what leads us down a path that is dangerous. So he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And by the way, I'm going to warn you, this is a spoiler alert. But as you read these verses, I don't know about you, but you're not going to like Samson. I, I, I'm going to fess up to you. Like, I, I didn't, I read his story and I'm like, dude, the guy's a jerk. So listen, he says he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, who, by the way, have sacrificed everything for him. He says, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Remember, this was a big deal in that day. This was a person who worshipped a different God than theirs. God had spoken against that. He had forbade them to marry from the land of the Philistines. And so now Samson, who knows that he's an Ezra, he's got the hair on his head. Like, I don't know how long it is. He's, he's not, you know, at this point he's, he's, he's an adult and he's never cut his hair. And so he knows the deal. This is not some innocent person who doesn't understand. And so he's demanding. He wants what he wants and he wants it right now. And when I see this pattern in his life, Often I think of sin as that. Sin, you know, you wonder, well, what's sin? And you make a list of these two things are sin. Really, sin is building a life around me as the center of my life. It's I want what I want, and I want it right now. And that's sort of, in my mind, what sin is. There's, it's, there's obliviousness to how it might impact others. It goes against, it takes God out of the equation, puts me on the throne of God, and wants God to, and parents and whoever else to serve my needs. And, and, and it's, a, it's a dangerous place to live because we're not meant to be gods. 
And, um, and the father and the mother see this pattern and they're worried. And so Simpson said to his father, they, they ask him, you know, is there somebody else? And, and he says, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. There's no consulting God. There's no, okay, guys, maybe you see something that I don't, nothing. He goes for it. And his father and mother didn't know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. This is a challenging notion here. Often we talk about, well, when bad things happen, does God cause them? Does he allow them? And, and this idea of God is in control and the sovereignty of God. And when you read verses like this, I, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but the Bible puts it there for a reason. This is God-breathed, inspired word of God that we believe uh, came from God for us for a reason. And it's a reminder that God uses bad things for his purposes. He uses bad things for good. And, and he did that, remember, with Pharaoh when he sent Moses back to the land of Egypt to free the people of Israel. He warned Moses. He says, you are indeed going to get uh, rejection from Pharaoh, not once, not twice, but, but 10 times and more. And, 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 and there are others. He incited David King to number the people. So there are times in our life when, when we, when I would blame God for my sin, I'm not saying that, but that God somehow intervenes and sovereignly works things out that we might go like, man, what happened there? And yet God's hand is there somehow working out beauty from ashes. And you, I'm not going to read the entire story, but I uh, read you highlights. Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. So they kind of have this party that we we're told about how the spirit of God was still working on him. He went down and talked to the woman and she was right. And it says again in verse seven of chapter 14, she was right in his eyes in Samson's eyes. It's a problem in our lives when we're making decisions that are right in my eyes only, okay? That is a problem. And we are living in an egotistical, narcissistic, self-centered society where everybody wants to do what is right in my eye. And there is something innately wrong about that. And I think it is the bend of human nature, but but it sets us up to anger and, and, and fighting. And, and a lot of what's happening in our country right now is because people really are, are this, are living this. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. And by the way, just to pick on the masks, because I hate wearing masks because I'll fess up. I'd rather stay home than go somewhere and have to wear a mask. And that's fine. It's my prerogative. But, but even that, like, I'm not going to wear a mask no matter what, is an argument that feeds just me, a world centered around me. And I, again, I I don't want to get into a discussion about masks. I believe that if they're a government-ordained rule, obey them, put it on during the times when you go into the store, do what you need to do. But, but again, this notion, and I think we've blown up this whole conversation about masks, but I think it reflects a deeper heart issue, which is a society built on, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it right now. And it doesn't matter how it impacts everybody else. And that is self-centered society, and that is not godly. And so, poor, this is Samson, by the way. Again, does it surprise you when people of God act this way? I mean, this the book that God has given us is plentiful of examples of people who got it wrong. And why does he put it there? Well, because we're going somewhere. Because this is not a story about people and how well they did it. It is a story about Jesus and God and, and, and this redemptive history of how God uses even our bad decisions to show who he is. And so... It's a disaster. He marries this woman. It's, you can read it later, but long and short of it, it's, he does not get along with her family or the people, and it's, it's bad. And, and he leaves angry, and the, and the wife of Samson at the end of chapter 14 is given to another man who was his best man. It's a mess. I mean, it's a mess. This is the guy who God chose to save the people of Israel. Later, we're going to find out he judged Israel. If you read the chapter that I told you to read, then you know that he judged Israel for 20 years. And, and this is his story. This is his private life. Are you still surprised when you see leaders who 
I'm not excusing leaders who make a mess of their lives. They're plentiful in our in our era right now in this decade. But uh, but it's 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 worth mentioning that these are these are things to keep in the back of your mind. That this is this is not uncommon. We shouldn't be so shocked when leaders fall. We were, we were looking at this leader who who had this horrible life. This isn't even Delilah yet. So he goes on, chapter 15, I won't get into all of it, but you see, again, he, he, he has another big, you know, he defeats the Philistines, but, but it's sort of an ugly story. Like nothing is smooth about this guy's life. And then, and then he has a moment at the end of chapter 15 where he's very thirsty. He's just finished killing a bunch of Philistines. Now he says he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of this uncircumcised? So God splits open in a rock and gives him water. So God is, is still guiding him despite his bad decisions. And uh, at the end of chapter 15, we're told that he judged Israel 20 years, and that's repeated later in 16. Now we get to chapter 16, which is where our attention was focused. So Samson goes to Gaza. It's another part of the area of the Philistines. You would think this guy has learned his lesson. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And says, he, there he saw, by the way, this isn't even Delilah yet. He had the wife. Now it tells us that he went uh, and found a prostitute in Gaza, and he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him. In, it, I, I, I skipped the details of chapter 14, but the same thing happened where the Philistines were trying to figure out the secret of Samson's strength, all right? They didn't know it was the hair. It wasn't like, a, you know, newsflash, Samson's hair is his ticket to power. No, nobody knew. He was a Nazarite, but nobody knew that that was the secret of his power. So, so in chapter 16, he goes to this prostitute, and the people in the city, the, the, the fighters, whatever, they wanted to find out, and so they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, and we will kill him. They set an ambush. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of, the he of Hebron. And so if you've grown up in Sunday school, you've seen the pictures, the flanographs, my nephew Sam, the spam, you guys know him as Pam. He has, 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 oh, I've seen him watch those little cartoons and Samson's got the big thing and he looks like the rock. You know, this guy's huge, he's strong and no one can stop him. Even though he's not uh, living in a way that would make us proud to be recognized as, 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 as a follower of God. And now in verse four of chapter 16, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. He loved the woman in the valley of Sorek. And I think, um, I think this is interesting and, and important because so much of Samson's problem grew out of what he loved. Samson's vice was that he loved women. And we see over and over again that his lack of love for God and his attachment, his love, he thought he would be satisfied he could, if he could just find the right woman. So there was that wife that, that he ended up a mess with. There was a prostitute, he thought. And he has got this pattern of loving the wrong things or people, but, but you understand what I'm saying. And so here he loves this woman named Delilah and, 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 and we read the story and it is like watching a train crash. If you've ever read the story, if you read the chapter, then it, it, you can't, like you want to cringe when you read it because you're going like, are you stupid? And so basically um, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him, see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samuel, to Samson, sorry, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, that one could subdue you. So he tricks her and he doesn't tell her the real thing and they come. And so literally, like, how dumb can a guy be, right? He gives her a trick and they come and they try to do that, you know, trick. And then they, he, of course, it's not his source of his strength. He lies to her. So, um, um, 
Delilah says to Samuel, Samson, sorry, I keep saying Samuel. Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. So she's now working hard on her seduction. And, and he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I'll become weakened like any man. So she goes back to the Philistines. She tells him, here's, here's his deal. They come, they tie him with new rope. And, um, and in verse 13, Delilah said to Samuel, Samson, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. So now he tells her, he's getting closer now. Have you ever played that, that game and, 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 and with your family where you're like getting warmer, warmer, hot, hot, hot? You know, so now he says, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I should become weak and be like any other man. So now he's talking about his hair. Again, are you dumb? What's wrong with you? So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks, wove them into the web, and she made them tight. And the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? All these stories, already he's got the ex-wife, he's got the prostitute situation, he's got, he's got now this. And hasn't he caught on? But isn't that how sin forms a web around us? I found in my life, and I found overall that... People who, when we struggle with sin, it's never like a one-time thing. Typically, there's a habit of sin that develops in life. The New Testament, we talk about besetting sins. And, and, and this is his besetting sin. He needs this woman, or he thinks he needs this woman. He has not learned to find satisfaction in Christ alone, in the Old Testament version, in, in God alone. And, and by the way, there were some people who found satisfaction in the Lord, even though they weren't perfect, like Joseph, like, like David. They understood what it meant to love God, but not Samson. He missed that chapter. And so, uh, so again, she presses him, and he tells her in verse 17, and, and she urges him again. And then he says, uh, when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. And sure enough, um, she shaves his head. She saw, Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart and she brought the Philistines. It says, come up again for he's told me all his heart and they uh, defeat Samson. It says, the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. It was just a matter of time at this point that he would find himself in this mess. And uh, she said, Verse 20, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, if you know anything about God, you know that he's a promise keeper. We've studied that. We've seen that. And, um, and God had made a promise to his mother, to Samson's mother, that he would be with him from womb to death. And we're going to see that God indeed left him for a season, but he wouldn't, was not far from him. We're going to see that in a minute. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. The very things, interesting, huh? That in chapter 14, what got him in trouble was what he saw. His eyes saw the woman. Then he saw Delilah. He saw the prostitute. His eyes were a constant source of, of vexation and sin. And isn't, isn't that what we're warned? Jesus says, if your eye uh, causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to die without an eye than to, than to fall in an indirect quote, but you understand in, 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 the, in the Matthew 6, 7, 8 uh, passage. But if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And uh, better to go to heaven maimed than to fail to see the kingdom of God. And so here's Samson. He's got no eyes. And they shackle him. They bind him. And they put him at the mill in the prison. He's walking around a mill. Can't see a thing. And the people are mocking him. But it says in verse 22, the beginning of grace here, the beginning of hope. It says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is a powerful 
statement of hope. And uh, now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Dagon was the was the god of the Philistines, uh, their small g god, and to rejoice. And they started mocking Samson. Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he might entertain us. It is humiliating. It's the worst. And uh, so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And here, watch, watch what has happened. His hair is growing. God has not left him yet. Samson said, but, but, but God, you've got to, I'm going to give you the teaching points in a second. We're going to have a quick teaching point thing because I think the story is so obviously self-explanatory. But Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked, on the, while, who looked on while Samson entertained. And now here it is, verse 28 of chapter 16. Then Samson called to the Lord. Do you know it's uh, only twice in his entire story we see him calling to God. One, when he was thirsty, and now in, a, in an act of repentance, really. He says, Oh Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, oh God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasps the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's. Imagine one man, his strength is back clearly. God has come anointing him again, come back on him as he calls on God, because God has made a promise about his life and um, all the potential that he could have had. It's interesting, we can look at his life and think, Man, what a mess! And yet it says, uh, that Samson, um, that he bowed with all his strength. And it says, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and his family came down, took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you know your Bible, you are familiar with the verse that says, uh, about faith. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, speaking about their faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Samson is listed in the Hall of Fame along with David, with, with Samuel, uh, with Abraham, with Moses. It's an incredible, incredible uh, story of God and his grace. And so you might be hearing the story and flabbergasted by so many aspects of it. Uh, here, here, here are the teaching points as I wrap up today, all right? And uh, uh, first of all, uh, when I'm desperate for a second chance, number one, it is not until you've reached rock bottom that you become desperate for a second chance. Um, here's the truth. Most of us talk about changing, but are not serious about it until we hit rock bottom. Uh, we spend our life, I mean, and, and sometimes we, we act like we want to change, but, but it doesn't last because we're still not convinced we need to change. The easiest example of this is dieting. Well, you go a week without eating sugar if you can last that long, but you're not really convinced you need it yet. It is only when you sit down with a doctor who tells you you've got diabetes now, you need to be on two blood pressure meds, you are going to die, that you kind of go, well, I think I need to stop smoking, you know? And even then it's a struggle because you still don't see it. You see, there are things in life that don't hit us until they hit us. And so, so, so many of us are so good about talking about changing, but we're not serious until we hit rock bottom. We're never aware that we need a second chance until we need a second chance. 
And most of us think, see, so we say the words, we want to change, but most of us think we can manage. We think we can manage our sin. We think we can, um, we can control our life. Okay, I'll remove the app from my phone. I'll, and we're doing it on our own, and we've got this thing, and we try, and we try, and we might succeed for a while, and then fail again and succeed. But we're like, we got this, because we haven't gotten to the place where we recognize that we really need to change. And that can be in a sin area in your life or in a relational area in your life. Maybe it's a habit at work of, of showing up late, of speaking back to your boss. I mean, no matter what area in your life that puts you in the center of your world, maybe it's your marriage where you're constantly like, you're not doing what I want you to do. And all. there's conflict in your home. Maybe it's with your kid, whatever that area is. And it's typically an area that is repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. You succeed for a while and then you fail again. Here's a second big teaching point. So the first one is it's not until you've reached rock bottom that you become desperate for a second chance. It took Samson getting uh, to the mill with no eyes to ask for a second chance. Here's a second big teaching point. It is not until you're willing to change no matter the consequences that you're serious about a second chance with God. See, here, here's what I've noticed. Most of us want the blessing of God without fully embracing the ways of God. We want our prayers answered. We want God to restore our marriages, to bless our kids, to give us a raise, to help us finish paying off that mortgage. But we are not ready uh, to do what it is that he's asked us to do. And uh, case in point, Samson, he wants water because he's thirsty. He asks God, God, give me water. God gives him water. God, help me defeat the Philistines. He does. But when God asks him, I mean, it, it, he asked him, we don't see a direct conversation, but it was a well-known law that you are not to intermarry with the Philistines. Uh, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. These were, these were standard things that the people of Israel knew. He was not willing uh, to abide by the ways of God. He wanted the power of God, the blessing of God without embracing the ways of God. And I, I think that's our biggest, most of us in, in the faith, uh, we struggle with that. We don't, we want to change but not at any cost. And so when we talk about repentance a lot, repentance is a gift God gives us. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we go to summer camps or conferences or churches, if you grew up in the church and, and you'll hear a message and you're kind of convicted and you feel the weight of your sin and you want to change because it doesn't feel good to sin because God's given you the Holy Spirit. You don't want to sin. And so you walk down the aisle, you make the decision, but you're not willing uh, to suffer the consequences of giving up the thing that you love. And so you still love it more than you love God. So John Piper talks a lot about that concept that the only way to fight the pleasures of sin is by finding a superior pleasure. And that superior pleasure is pleasure in God. So how do you, how do you learn to love God? We'll talk about that in a minute. So most of us tell God we want to change long enough to feel his pleasure. And then we go back to our own ways. You know that cycle? You know that cycle? I got to repent. Change me. I really want to change. I hate what I'm doing. And then you, and then God blesses you. And then you go, this is great until you get back to God. I don't like my life. I don't like what's happening. And you go back to that same pit of vomit. And, and, and then you come back and you do exactly what you know, the people of Israel did over and over and over again. And uh, there comes a point like Samson's life where uh, he didn't care at that point at the end. He was so desperate to change. He stood between the columns. And he says, God, let me die with the Philistines. And, and there's a symbol, a symbolic thing here. You go, man, it's sad. He died at the end. But, 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 but a reminder that in order for us to overcome our sinful patterns, we've got to die to ourselves. All right. Uh, most of it, you know, if you're in Christ, you understand that Jesus died for you. So when he gives you new life, we'll never die again. Our bodies will die, but our souls will go from this earth to eternity in his presence. And so, and so what we need to do daily, the New Testament teaches that we are to crucify the flesh daily, but it hurts 
Jesus, we think crucifying the flesh is easy, but saying no to self is hard. And yet there comes a point in your life when the, when the pain of sin is greater than the pain of, of dying to sin. And that's when change will happen in your life. And I hope, um, in some ways, I, I, I hate that place, but it's a place uh, that, that will finally get you to turn around. And, and so I was going to say, I hope you're not in that place. But on the other hand, if you are in that place, it might be a good place to be. So most of us misunderstand God's heart for our lives and his deep, deep love for us, which brings me to the last, you know, the third teaching point. We're talking about how to stand unshaken when I'm desperate for a second chance. First, you got to re reach rock bottom. Two, you got to be willing to change no matter what. Number three, it is not until you begin to understand God's love for you that you'll long for a second chance with him. All right, so picture Samson going around the mill, no eyes, all he can, he can only think, he's got his ears, there's nobody to talk with, so he's walking around this mill with no eyes, and he's got his memories, he's looking, his, his life is a movie, and he's watching it, and he's thinking about all the things that he's done and said, he's thinking about his, the promises growing up with his parents, the, the words, his mom and dad, I can imagine how many times they told him the story of his birth, mom and dad, can I get a haircut, all the other kids in the neighborhood have no son, God has put a promise on your life, you're not cutting your hair, because that is, that is your strength, and, and imagine those conversations. He's walking around the mill, and he's remembering, and he's remembering, and what God is doing, when we talk about the goodness of God leads to repentance. God is reminding him. In the New Testament, we're told that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and so God not only reminds us of, of the consequences of sin, convicts us of sin through his Spirit, but he also convicts us of who we are in Christ, and so, 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 so many of us live under the spirit of condemnation. Now, again, Samson is an Old Testament character. Jesus has not come yet. So he lives, he f demonstrates faith at the end of his life. But we in the New Testament have the power over sin because we know that Jesus has paid the price for our sin. And because of his victory over sin, we do have that victory over sin, which is why Paul, if you want a great book of the Bible to help you understand that, read Romans beginning to end. It'll take you half an hour. It's not long to read it. Ask, just go back and read it again if you don't understand it. But you get to Romans 8 where, where we're told there's no condemnation to those who, who are in Christ. And that no condemnation is for those who are positionally in Christ, who have received Christ's payment on the cross for our sins. And so, um, and so that is God's love that, that frees us from our sin. He, he, God so loved the world that he gives only son to, to die for us. And so we see that, and this is love, not that first John chapter four, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son a payment for our sin or a propitiation for our sin. You want to understand God's love. The first way to do it is to get to know God. And how do you get to know God? Well, you get to know him through his word. And that's what we're doing week after week. We're learning who God is. And so you read the story of Samson and you see Samson listed in the book of faith in Hebrews 11 in the chapter of faith. What you learn is, is less about Samson and more about this awesome, awesome God who pours his grace and keeps his promises. People talk about the sovereignty of God and, and some of those topics are hard and does God, you know, how does God work out salvation? Does he choose people to be saved? We have free will to accept him. I don't know. All I know is without him calling us and, and, and wooing us and pursuing us into his presence, we have no hope. And so you say, man, I don't know. Is it happening to me? Is God pursuing me? I, yes. The answer is if you're here and you're watching this and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, I promise you, God is pursuing you. His invitation, I'm not, I have no power to save you, but, but this understanding, the payment of the death of Christ, God came into humanity, the incarnation is God, comes as a human in the flesh, named Jesus, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross in order to give us life. 
That is the invitation that he gives us. If you receive the payment on the cross for your sin, you can be saved. And the entire book, the story of the Bible, is a story of this redemption based not on how good we are, not on how great our track record is in overcoming sin. On the contrary, it's not, um, it's not our potential, but his goodness and his grace and the payment that he gave for our sin that saves us. That's grace. That's the story of salvation. And so nothing will ever fill your heart like living in the fullness of God's love for you. Nothing will ever fulfill your purpose in life like living in obedience to God's ways for you. And nothing will ever impact the world as much as you're finally giving your life up to God completely. The reason we talk about Samson is as a, as a man of faith is because uh, by the end of it, he was willing to say, okay, God, not my life, but yours through me. And uh, uh, my favorite verse of God's love, by the way, and I'll end with that. We'll move into a time of prayer here. See if you have questions. Diana's texted me a couple of questions. But I want to just kind of leave you with this, this verse of God's love. I think that, um, you know, right now a lot of people talk this. God, you know, you talk so much about payment for sin and God's anger. Look, uh, God is love. He's love. And so, uh, it, it, and you see that love on the cross where, where, the pay, where justice was served for sin. And now, uh, by accepting the price that God paid, we no longer have to suffer um, uh, for our sins. And that's, uh, that's mercy. And so in Christ, both justice and mercy are met. Uh, so my favorite chapter on, uh, verse on, on God's love is, is unarguably Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. I'll leave you with that verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. I, I, and, I, and I'll read it in this context. You might be hearing this message and you are seeped in, in, in a desperate need for a second chance. And you might be right now struggling with a cycle of sin for decades you cannot get out of. And you just think, is there any hope? Uh, there's always hope in Christ. And you're hearing this message for a reason. If Samson was given a second chance, uh, God is waiting to give you a second chance. Yeah, what kind of God do we serve? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is awesome. This is our God. Uh, he longs uh, to have uh, a restored relationship with you, so much so that he gave his life for you. And so, Christian, for you, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. Isn't, isn't his love motivation enough to say, all right, I want to spend my life not loving the Delilahs of this world, but, but loving this God who can satisfy all my needs and who is there for me when I absolutely need him. And so we're going to pray in a moment that God would help grant you victory over sin. 